Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce a special Movember guest. Thanks, Greg. Uh, today, we have uh, a guest from across the pond, actually. Mr. Bill Carson is with us today. Uh, Bill is an, an author. Bill is the uh, founder and director of Aspired Learning uh, in Australia. Uh, Bill's out of Sydney, Australia, and uh, Bill is a specialist in mental health, um, well-being, performance, and training. And really, much is our is our theme for November, as as you've all known for for the five weeks. And and we're going to wrap this up with a, with a nice little bow here with Bill. Bill is um, obviously have has tons of experience within all of this, and his his actual um, expertise very much fits in with everything that we're trying to do here. So, um, Bill, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the, on the program here with us today. So thanks for taking your time out. And we know that it's, uh, it's very early there. So it's, it's 6 a.m. for the people uh, currently at, uh, at our current time. So, Bill, thanks for, for taking the time out and being with us today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, uh, Jason and Greg. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, yeah. You don't have to thank us, that's for sure. Um, I just want to start off with, uh, you know, the the underlying issue or the underlying um, um, capacity, I guess, would, is a better way of saying it, that you can cover for us is, th and this, we could probably talk about this for three days in a row, but let's, let's cut this to um, understanding the challenges of stress, anxiety, anger, depression, burnout, and isolation. So Bill, I'm just going to hand it off to you. So if, if you wouldn't mind just telling some of our listeners about A, what you do and how you go about handling the mental health aspect within, uh, you know, understanding those challenges of stress, anxiety, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Love to. So what I'll start with specifically is a kind of methodology that I find incredibly helpful and that's uh, what I call the three E's. So in any moment uh, in time, like right here, right now, uh, we could uh, essentially scale our energy, uh, how we feel uh, on a scale of one to 10. So uh, six to 10 is um, energized, um, four to five is empty, and then one to three is exhausted. So uh, right here, right now, I'm energized. I'm talking to you guys. And I'm sure you're right up there as well, which is fantastic. And and so at any particular point in time, you know, like, like the moment that we wake up uh, to, to a point, you know, to any point during the day, the thing that we need to be really mindful of is, is, in a sense, connecting in and how am I feeling? Uh, and a lot of people, if they don't have that self-awareness, like, you know, in a work context, you know, you'll get into work at 9 a.m.-ish or and then you know, knock it out for maybe an hour, hour and a half. Uh, if you don't watch yourself, you know, it's been a tough meeting maybe. Uh, whatever work you're doing, your energy goes down, let's say, to maybe about a five. And if you are not aware of it, you could sort of start getting uh, uh, down even further. You start to get into exhaustion land. And then what we need to do is constantly be mindful of our energy flow and re-energizing ourselves. So the ways in which we re-energize ourselves cover the four major areas, either physically, sort of getting up, moving your body, grabbing some water, taking a break, uh, even just for a few minutes, 
um, or uh, um, mentally, if you've sort of had some tough meetings or some creativity, then you need to do, say, something that's less uh, demanding. Uh, so I notice myself that sometimes, you know, my energy is up, I can do creativity work, but when I'm tired and exhausted, then I just do admin work and that doesn't take much brain power. Or emotionally, need to, you know, notice if I'm having some kind of um, crappy feelings, you know, or, or feeling sort of frustrated, I can't get my energy up, and have gratitude, and appreciation. And then, you know, spiritually or from a purpose of meaning perspective, you know, am I kind of doing the work that I want to be doing and so forth. So a lot of people, if, if we manage our energy flow, then we can stay on top of that. Uh, but the people who don't have that awareness, for example, they can have an exhausting day. Then in the transit from uh, work to home, if, if they keep mulling over, you know, this didn't happen and I didn't get this done and you know, that person did this to me and my team is pretty useless because they didn't do this and you're thinking all this negative thought, then you get home and you're going to be angry and hurtful to the people that love you. And this is not a good thing to do. And so in that transition phase, okay, getting the energy back up, uh, maybe, you know, you want to listen to the radio, good, or listen to oodles of, you know, huge podcasts, you know, and other work like Five Nation, and, you know, really sort of energize. Um, if we manage our energy that way, then we really um, help ourselves in a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Because people will burn out if they're constantly looking at, you know, a, a classic challenge that we have as humans is we fall into this um, thing that I call DHD, which is don't have disease. It's a vast, huge problem on the planet, uh, ab- absolutely aggravated by the advertising industry, the media industry, the social media industry, are constantly putting things in front of us as humans of of things we don't have. You know, you don't have the the holiday, you don't have the car, you don't have the et cetera, et cetera. And if we don't watch ourselves, we we go into that black hole of comparison all the time. And so we have to be so mindful of of the critical influence of gratitude. You know, I I do have, you know, I do have my life. Sunshining. I have a job, I have a partner, I have children, I have relationships. Those sorts of things are really you know, important. So if we are aware of, of where our energy drops, because when we burn out, often we go into this place of exhaustion and we're not replenishing ourselves. So as, as, as to how that relates to the anxiety around that, how would you say that, what's, what's uh, one, one trigger that you would say that you would notice if, if I had anxiety, for example, what's, what's one thing that I could do myself to notice that I'm, you know, becoming anxious? Yep. So, so I bring some sort of really um, insightful elements here. And that is so broadly, because I'm going to kind of, you know, translate these kind of things into practical kind of areas. One of the ways to broadly understand anxiety is it's our uncertainty about the future. Uh, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a classic kind of experience for all species on the planet. 
Uh, so every species on the planet needs to fundamentally do uh, the three Fs of fight, flight, and freeze from a physical survival perspective. So you know, either run away uh, or protect yourself or freeze you know, species um so uh, a lot of people kind of say oh you know that's a, an ancient brain lizard brain kind of thing but no 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 that's really well, you know <laughs> that's not a really useful understanding that the way to understand it is to take it to a whole other level that we do as humans is that we being uh, incredible uh, social beings we take it to the level of personal and social. So we apply fight, flight, freeze at the social level. So I'll give you an example. Driving along um, in any traffic, in any conditions, in any city, and someone cuts you off. And in that moment, what we do is we hit the anchors to protect ourselves physically. But then what we do as humans is we take it to a social level of how dare you with <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those kind of gestures yeah. that um you know and and so the, the thing that happens for for us as humans is constantly what we're uh, battling with is our stress reaction to um triggers to uh, stressors, stimuli and triggers, etc. And so uh, in the moment where, let's say, uh, you get a text from your boss, um, where's that report? In that moment, that's a uh, stress trigger, which then uh, fires off the stress reaction of fight, flight, and freeze. And, and when, we, uh, when, we, when we do fight, those of us who have a tendency to fight, then, then we respond with anger or attack or judgment. Uh, so we attack others. You know, you get that text and bloody boss, idiot, I already told him. Or when we do flight, uh, uh, stress reaction, we internalize and we attack self. I can't do this, I'm not good enough. What is this happening to me? That boss is always picking on me. No, I'm, it's so hard. We run into this hole. Um, when our stress reaction goes off, we go into a knot. So, you know, you, you're not, you've done the wrong thing, you cut me off, you're a bad driver, or we uh, go into, I'm not, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I can't do this. So the externalizers do anger, the internalizers do anxiety, and the freeze response is essentially avoidance, where we do denial, procrastination, et cetera. So, so the, the anxiety that, that we experience is, is, is going to come out of the uncertainty of like, getting the, the text, um, the, just, just the uncertainty of, you know, just experiences of so many things in life. And one of the things then to become aware of is, is noticing what stress triggers uh, are happening and then therefore what uh, thought I'm having. So, for example, so uh, Victor Frankl spoke about this. Have you guys read Man's Search for Meaning? No, no. Okay. So he spoke about this and uh, the late Stephen Covey talked about it as well. So 
uh, between the trigger happening, the stress trigger, and then our reaction, there's a, there's a gap, there's a space. Vast numbers of people live with significant sort of mental, emotional health challenges because they haven't learned that there's a gap that they live in the uh, experience of the trigger happens and then they react. So their partner looks at them the wrong way or has a tonality or you know, makes a crack, you know, you didn't clean up the dishes tonight as you said you would. And then if you don't recognize that there's a capacity for voice to how you respond, you just react like that or I was too busy or you know, had a crack at them. And so to recognize that, so in that gap is what I call three C's. First of all, we have control over how we react or respond. And then second C is chill. <laughs> so at that moment, chill. And then the third C is choose. So take control, chill, and choose. So if we go back to the uh, traffic example, in that moment, you know, someone cuts you off and then part of us might get really angry. It's like, okay, take control, chill, and choose. Choose how to react. And that could either be to, oh, stupid driver, but, you know, life goes on. I'm going to get myself uh, all stressed. Same with the uh, email from the boss in that moment. Uh, I could choose to be uncertain about that experience and then hit the, in a sense, the anxiety button. Um, because anxiety and anger are often the opposite sides of the same point. In other words, the reaction. Um, see that email and go, and then take control of my emotional reaction. I go, chill, now choose. Okay, so. Do I need to ask my boss a question because um, we did have a discussion about this and I thought I needed to get it finished at the end of the day. His email or text indicates that he wants it straight away um, or maybe he's under stress, maybe things have changed. You know? So we can respond with either curiosity or compassion or comedy, see the funny side of it. So, so when we learn to deal with our stress reaction, we actually learn to become a purer and wiser uh, emotional human being. So, Bill, how do you, how do you, with that example, how do you widen the gap, as you called it, between like you know your triggers? So, how do you widen that gap so that you do become maybe more patient or more, you know, under control, as you'd say, you know, with your emotions? How, how would you widen that gap? Yeah, good. It's a really good question. I mean, it's easy to talk about. It's a great question, Jason, because it takes practice. First of all, it takes awareness, and. Um, and one of the, you know, this is from sort of classic um, cognitive behavioral therapy methods and acceptance of therapy methods, et cetera. And, and one of the things that's really important that we do um, is, is, is what I call ABC, which is awareness, breathe, and choose. So, so having the awareness, okay, right at this moment in time, I'm feeling annoyed. I'm feeling 
worried, I'm feeling concerned, I'm feeling. And and a lot of people, it's taken me a long time to, to, to sort of start to really develop that awareness and be okay with it, of noticing how I'm feeling, you know, in, in, this, in this moment. And, and that sort of awareness is really important. So when someone is, let's say, um, you know, they, they notice they just get anxious, you know, the, the anxiety comes. I mean, that happens for male. You know, male version is what I call anxiety. That's the male version of uh, anxiety. Anxiety. Um, so when the, uh, you know, the 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 uncertainty, the anxiousness, anxiety, the fear pops up. If we're not aware of it, then we just go straight into some form, you know, reactivity. But if we're starting to notice, oh, okay, what um, what that person said, or my uncertainty about this report that I've got to do or this presentation or this, this sales call that I've got to make or whatever, up come the feelings. Oh, and I think they're noticing that. And, 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 and so an initial process is to do the noticing. Some of the more advanced processes over time is, is to start journaling, is to just grab some time and notice um, that, you know, that I'm, I'm okay, start writing, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling that I'm not going to provide for my family, I'm feeling that I'm going to potentially lose my job, you know, it just these feelings need to be released and, you know, just go down on paper and stuff like that. So you can do it that way or, or, or talking to somebody, you know, having someone that you trust. Normally, we'll, we'll need to pay for that and, um, you know, you can pay either, you know, a specialist or, you know, I do a lot of lifeline work. So lifeline in Australia is a volunteer, so it's a, it's a um, telephone-based crisis service. And um, we have a lot of callers that, you know, people call up and they just want someone to talk to. Uh, so the talking about our feelings uh, over time is, is, is super important. So... Just coming back, so the, the methodology there, uh, Jason, is is ABC. So acknowledge feelings, breathe, because all the research now highlights the incredible importance that often anxiety is associated with a a, a, um, a, a physiological reaction state in which in the body, which is just kind of like totally normal and natural, which is called the sympathetic nervous system the, the sympathetic nervous system kind of fires off and then if we breathe and and the really good thing about this is, is uh, from james nestor's work around breath and that is the critical importance of just keeping the mouth closed and just breathing through the nose so there's an interesting thing there which is shut your mouth and breathe you know, that makes sense because when your mouth is closed, you can't get yourself in trouble very easily. So I, 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 I understand why you would want to breathe through your nose as well so that you're not yipping your mouth. I, you know, I really like that. Uh, I really like that, Bill, because, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, I think a lot of people would recognize is that, you know, they have a short trigger or a short fuse. And, you know, you right away, like you, 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 you said about like the, the, the traffic example where you get cut off in traffic your initial uh, you know reaction is just to like 
absolutely lose your mind and you know but yet at the end of the day if you really think about it did that really impact your life at all it really didn't you know what i mean but if at that moment it absolutely did and there was going to be hell to pay whether you know it was somebody's fault or not but you know so i really like that and having that ability to control that gap or control that trigger i think is very much a key so uh, getting staying on that anxiety tape type of theme as well um and we talked about it off camera here a little bit but can you talk about the lack mindset uh, um mindset for anxiety versus the growth mindset for intuition which is the exact opposite of anxiety yeah yep um and um i'm not sure if you guys have come across uh this book which is called the gap and the gain by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. And um, um that's uh Dan Sullivan. Uh did he write traction as well? And the, is that the same? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's he's is kind that, of a real guru in sort of marketing and he's I think he's US based guy. I think he is too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And um so so one of the things that Dan Dan's been working with entrepreneurs for a really long time. And, and so he'd have a, an entrepreneur come to him who earns 100,000. And they're not happy till they're earning 200,000. Then they're not happy till they're earning half a million. And then they're not happy till they're earning a million. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and so uh, he and Ben wrote this book called The Gap in the Game. So the way I talk about this is, and when I run workshops and keynotes, is imagine you've got 10 things to do in a day. And at the end of the day, you've done six. What do we normally focus on? Four that we didn't get done. <laughs> you know, particularly if you're a high performer, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, this thing's done. And when we focus on the gap of what we didn't get done, what will often happen is that we run the risk that that will trigger a stress reaction of I didn't do this, I didn't do that, or some form of you know, disappointment, sadness, grief, et cetera. Um, but if we focused on the game, the, the six that we did get done, then I've made Gain into an acronym. This is not in dance, but this is kind of a Bill Carson version. Uh, gain is an acronym for gratitude, appreciation, inspiration, and nurture. So, you, you know, if you think about it, so, okay, I've got uh, six things done, you know, I did this, and, you know, I was really pleased with that. Um, then we have an appreciation and, and what it does is that we access essentially uh, more and, and, and some of Jill Bolt Taylor's work is, is identifying that when we um, have these more realistic and, and positive thoughts, we, we access more of the right hemisphere, the sphere of our brain, more uh, amygdala, the hippocampus and so forth, we come into the present moment. Whereas if we uh, stay in, in thinking about the lack, uh, so to come to your point there around you know lack mindset, then that is a frustration that 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 that'll kind of correlate with the the anxiety. It'll also kick in depression uh, as well because 
uh, depression is highly correlated with with grief, with with a sadness, with a loss, um, and 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 so yeah, it, it, focusing on on the gap or what I call the pain uh, of, of the, the loss experience of things we didn't get done, then it increases the capacity for stress reaction to be fired up, and then we either get um, anger and anxiety or even depression that's in there as well. And it's depression, you know, small d depression, just that, that sort of grief and sadness. Whereas if we focus then on what we did uh, achieve, you know, the six things, and, you know, mulling over those and noticing them, then we increase the capacity, as I said, for gratitude, appreciation, inspiration, nurture. And then we nurture ourselves, we, we produce better, Kind of neurochemistry in the right hemisphere of the brain, and what's starting to be kind of understood from a research perspective is that when when we actually balance out our brains more effectively, instead of operating as half brains where we're just in constant stress mode, that we actually balance out our brain by coming into the present moment and actually uh, having positive thoughts of gratitude and things like that. A lot of people kind of say, oh, you know, that's just being unrealistic, you know, Pollyanna-ish thinking, you're not facing the reality. The reality is you only got six things done and you didn't do the other four. The, what, what happens is that with an, with an improved quality of thinking, uh, by using more of the right hemisphere, we actually then have more capacity to actually deal with that difficulties and struggles that we're having or you know the things that we didn't get done. So we can actually bring more intelligence, more insight and hence uh, more intuition. So in, intuition is really really important. Um, and you know that's associated with what you mentioned around the growth mindset. Uh, so, so so taking that kind of capacity do six things and notice those and grow from those. That's why I talk about appreciation and inspiration and nurture as uh, elements of that. And it's really interesting because, like as an example for me, um, and, and a trap for you know a lot of us as high performers, we really love our work, we want to be out there. If you guys, you know, and, and for me, I'll take my example. If I only focused on continuing to look forward uh, to the things that I want and still haven't achieved yet, um, uh, then, then, then that constantly creates this, you know, striving kind of, I don't have risk. But then if I kind of notice that, well, this has been an extraordinary year for me, 2023, because I've written my book, um, had it published, um, Getting it out there, you know, it's up on Amazon. Um, it's the whole purpose of it is is to uh, roll out workshops. There's now five clients so far that that uh, have rolled it out so far. It's meeting a huge need around psychosocial risks and hazards. It's making a contribution. Uh, I'm making a contribution to people's lives. You know, so I'm, so all these positive things are actually, you know, I focus on. And that energizes me for, for my future going forward. 
Does that make sense? 100%. So that really uh, wraps up the um, the theory around to-do lists versus to-be lists. And so when you have a to-do list and now you go and you write your to-do list and you don't have your to-do list done, just as you explained, Bill, you don't have your to-do list done. Now you're just focusing on the things that you didn't get done, not on the things that you did get done on your to-do list. That's why like Jim Fortin talks about it a lot about to-be, have a to-be list. And a to-be list literally is you get nothing really done on it. It's not a It's not a task list as per se. It's a, you know, it's an ongoing life list, I guess, if you want to call it that. And you basically just, you know, keep get, gaining the positives out of everything that you want to be, right? Or that you have accomplished. Just as you just said, Bill, like, congratulations on your book, by the way. But, you know, like the whole thing about, you know, to do versus to be. And it, it, that that whole theory makes complete sense with what you just said then bill as have that having that growth mindset you just take the positivities out of everything and I, and yeah. if there's one person who who you know preaches positivity that'd be me i i you, you ha- if you don't find the positivity in everything you get drowned in the negativity mm-hmm. and Absolutely. so and so, you know, for you to find it that way, um, I, I have one last question just around that anxiety as well, Bill. So like we talked about it off camera. So we do have some female followers uh, on the Hive Nation. Uh, shout out to Courtney again. And we have a few new ones actually that have joined recently. Yeah. And so um, um, is there a difference between, uh, um, you know, you you joked about it, calling it man anxiety versus, you know, anxiety? Is there a difference between having a, a woman having anxiety and a man having anxiety and the triggers around it? And or maybe like something like a crowd, you're, you're not you're not comfortable going into a crowd or whatever versus people who are going into a crowd, just as an example. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, again, it's one of the, the areas that I... Um, when I talk about and, and teach because when I um, run workshops and I'll show uh, data um, and consistently in Australia and it's relevant through all around the world, the numbers for mental health challenges for uh, women is different to men, uh, often much higher. Um, and, 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 and I talk about um, mental health uh, challenges. I don't, you know, I try to stay away from apologizing mental health because first off, one of the things is that the world health definition of mental health is that mental health is a really good thing. And and we've got to be really uh, conscious of, I think, all over the world to not uh, pathologize mental health. Uh, so mental health is, is in us having well-being, um, having good relationships, managing life, managing stresses, Good relationships and um, making a positive contribution to our communities. And um, so, if I looked at uh, yourself, uh, both of you guys, you know, Jason and Greg, and, and and I said, I look at you guys and I say, you guys have got physical health. And you go, yeah, that's you know, that makes sense. And what's implied there is that there's a silent adjective. When we talk about, you know, we look at something, oh, I think of physical health, there's an assignment of adjective of, of good. And what we've got to be so mindful of, you know, that's creeping into certainly our culture, I'm not sure about yours, is people go, as if, you know, there's, there's something wrong with them. Sorry, Bill, you cut the out reality. there for one second. Would you mind just backing up? What did you just say right there just before that? It just cut out real quick. Yeah. 
uh, and and and, and I, the expression often is is that people will say, "Oh, you know, they've got mental health," mm. you know, as if there's something wrong with. Uh, what we have to realise is that mental health is a really good thing. In theory, we should be saying, "Oh, you know," and you you guys have got when, when we understand that mental health is really good. You guys have got great mental health. Like you, you're doing this work. You're making a contribution, you care about others, so your, your well-being, you're happy, you're thriving, that's mental health. So when we deal with, you know, you know, if someone is dealing with physical health challenges, like the lower back was playing up, the tummy was playing up, et cetera, then we'll be calling it physical health challenges. I mean, I think find challenges a more neutral word than problems or issues. And so the same... If, if someone is dealing with mental health challenges rather than you know mental health problems or issues, now what happens in the um, neurobiologically, uh, women with higher levels of uh, estrogen in the female mammal species is gives the function for the female you know, female mammal species to be kind of uh, having the capability to track. And you know, look after the children and be you know, multi-tracking and sort of have that and that capacity also to you know, connect with, with other women as well. Whereas the testosterone tends to have the male brain sort of more focused on tasks and outcomes. So with this, with high levels of estrogen in the female brain, then you know, coming into modern life, the female brain has the capacity to be multi-tracking across, across a range of things. And often that gets interpreted as multitasking. But there's a lot of research that's identified that the brain really only can do one thing in any nanosecond moment, and it multi-switches. So a lot of women have to be really careful that if they're multi-tracking and so forth, they're not they're over multi-switching, and then therefore they can excessive demands on their brain. So that makes it really difficult. Now, also then part of that neurobiology uh, with the estrogen and, and the fact that you know, women will often be sort of tracking each other a, a lot more and they're often making comparisons with each other, you know, themselves, you know, how am I fitting in? How am I, am I, am I accepted, accepted? Am I loved? All that kind of stuff. So that creates an increased um, um, capacity or, or struggle at some level for their own identity and, and hence the uncertainty of, you know, am I accepted, am I loved, do I look pretty enough, etc. And then you, you, you've got this being targeted since the 1960s, which, you know, pictures of perfection and beauty and etc. etc. And that really places a lot of <clears throat> mental and emotional demands on the female brain uh, and this is a, will be one of the one of the only, but it's one of the cultural kind of challenges that, that is difficult. It increases the challenges for women, and hence the propensity for um, the, the uncertainty, hence the anxiety, uh, um, etc. So that's you know, a neurobiological kind of explanation. Gotcha. Whereas it's less uh, 
it exists in males because we still will deal with the uncertainty, um, but, but it's, it's not as much of an issue. And so the other thing I'll just touch on because um, these two go together is I've been talking about the fact that um, anxiety is highly correlated with future, the uncertainty of the future. Depression is highly correlated with um, lost experiences from the past. And so, um, so, so a lot of times, so um, if, if we kind of sort of have that awareness and, and and again, I use the word highly correlated because it's not the only explanation. But when, when we lose things, when we lose love sources, particularly, um, it's incredibly emotionally painful for us. You know, you just think about, I don't know if you guys ever had a love relationship that, that went south. Um, maybe you did the punting, you know, you, you know, you broke it off, you, you know, you were good to go. You're not going to have any mental health issues if you break it off because <laughs> go to the next one. But if you're on the receiving end of, of, of that uh, love experience, uh, the relationship going south, it's, it's really hurtful. It's very, very painful. And a lot of times in our culture, we don't do much about it. And then bigger extended versions of that is when we lose someone very close to us, you know, our parent, brother, sister, you know, those lost experiences are incredibly painful. And I, I refer to them as mental emotional injuries. Because then when we use the injury analogy, then, you know, you bust your knee, you bust your ankle, then you go, you know, get it assessed, you work with a specialist, and then eventually you heal. And the same with mental emotional injuries as well. The vast numbers of people, particularly from loss experiences, don't get professional help. And the, there's incredible complexity in those love relationships that get uh, severed broken and often need a lot of um, insight because just as uh, a physiotherapist knows how to actually re rework all the attachments and the ligaments and the muscles what a clinical specialist uh, does is that they understand all the complexities of the attachments that we had to the person that we've lost and and often what we need to do be able to kind of rework those attachments so that we can actually let go of the emptiness of the loss of love and actually sort of rewire, re envisage a different perspective on the relationship of, of you know, love and appreciation around the legacy experience I left in my life, those sorts of things. And if people don't learn that kind of stuff, what they can do is just take the hurt and the pain and the you know the, the grief the abandonment the betrayal um just, they just hold on to it they don't let it go and then they just drag that rubbish into the next relationship mm -hmm. so what happens is depression the, when we're thinking about the past a lot and regretting it and, and stuck there and that causes a lot of you know difficulty and pain in the present moment and then when we're anxious about the future you know, that's creating a lot of challenges and our, and our capacity to actually be in the present moment and not mourning the past and not getting anxious around the future and not angry about the future uh, is, is, is something that we really have to work on. And, you know, people like Eckhart Tolle talk about this future. It's almost like existing scar tissue, if you want to call it that. Exactly. Yeah, yes. 
Talking about the present moment, Bill, and understanding our anxiety triggers and potentially depression because of that existing pain, how can one go about discussing that with people? I think, I don't think, I know I've been in situations where they've maybe gotten to this escalation because somebody was afraid of saying, hey, I get anxious when dot, 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 or I'm depressed because, or, you know, maybe it's not that cut and blank, but in general, I find people are afraid to talk about that because they're afraid of um, assuming that victim mindset and thinking it's the woe is me game. But how can somebody effectively communicate that to those around them? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I um, <clears throat> say it's a fantastic question because I've been kind of thinking that a lot. I, I actually, first of all, really believe that all of us uh, have a responsibility to identify our capacity to be safe to talk to. And, and so that's part A. So, you know, right at the moment, um, there might be a degree of safety that you and I might feel, Greg, uh, but normally it would take some time for, for you know for our, our relationship let's say you know our friendship to develop because you'd fundamentally need to get to the point where you know where kind of what you were feeling you know something going on where you could feel safe that yep I couldn't talk to Bill and the thing that um and this is what I cover in my book and in my workshops, is that the, the goal that I think personally that all of us as humans need to be able to do is that when you, Greg, uh, for example, have a conversation with me, that I know how to do empathy versus sympathy. Now, there's a big distinction here. It's an incredibly uh, subtle distinction, but it's massively important. So empathy is uh, them or them them pathy. So um, so pathy is the Greek word. Uh, pathos is the Greek word for feelings. So pathy is is to do with feelings. So essentially, when we're having a conversation, my uh, skill and ability is that you know my, you might share with me you know something like you know you're just kind of bit. Um, kind of a bit sad at the moment because you're kind of worried about your dad. He's not that well and putting a lot of stress on your mum and stuff like that. So you got to have those feelings. And then um, what I do is them, uh, them feelings. I reflect back your feelings and say something like, that must be pretty up for you. You know, how are you going with that? You know, you're getting help and support in terms of what you're, you're dealing with and working with them. So I, I hold the platform of safety for you to actually just land your feelings and be totally safe and okay with your feelings. I'm not. Now, here's the distinction. So what sympathy is, is sympathy is self-pathy, so self-feelings. And what happens is that most people don't have this awareness that, let's say you, you know, shared that that was going on for you. Because we're highly, we're all highly evolved, uh, emotional beings, what will happen is they'll feel 
you know, your degree of distress. And then it'll fire off in me my stress reaction. And then my stress reaction will either be to externalize, which is to actually tell you what to do, or I will project my feelings onto you because I've got these feelings and I self, I put I. And, and, and vast numbers of people don't know this, but they, they think that they're being caring and kind by making statements like, I feel sorry for you, or I would find that very difficult. So as soon as I make it an I, it goes, we just destroy the space where you start to really mess it up because it becomes, becomes unsafe because now what started being about you, it's now become about I. And a lot of people really struggle with this because they, they're either trying to fix you or they think that, you know, I can be helpful if uh, I've got, you know, fix, uh, uh, fix screen. If I just, as I say, reflect feelings, then I create the safety for you to just be with your feeling. And the, the, the incredible uh, kind of subtlety around this is, you know, if a child fell over and, and hurt itself, you know, three, four, five, boy or girl, really matter. And you know, either you're the parent or the caregiver, or then in general, most of us would just you know, hold that child. And what happens is, is they just emotionally soothe because they're being held, and then they go, "Oh, I'm good now, daddy," and you know, they go, "Good now, mummy." And so, when we uh, hold the space, when we just uh, do reflective feelings reflecting feelings, you know, reflecting the other person's feelings and just holding that space of safety, then what happens is that the, the, the brain of the distressed person is able to, in a sense, essentially emotionally self-regulate, but also get some form of compassion, understanding and so forth from the other person who is actually you know, doing the listening or the holding space. With that person there's not enough research on this i'd really love to kind of see what research there is around it but that's kind of been my my observation and experience does that make sense for you guys yeah it does. there's always been that that argument of empathy versus sympathy right and and when to empathize and when to sympathize and <laughs> yeah it's a very fine line i would say and i think especially mm. for high performing people as well we've talked about that a couple of times in in today's episode and high performing people because they want to bring for the most part want to bring everybody uh around them up with them they have the tendency to put that you know hero mindset almost or that i need to help this person right away and they don't give enough room in that space of okay i gotta chill understand what bill is saying to me or jason is saying to me pause, think about it. Okay, now I have a response. Mm. And, and I think a lot mm. of people don't even realize uh, whether it is a person coming for to tell you about their grief or that jerk reaction when you get cut off. That gap, that space, especially in conversation, is powerful because people see you thinking and really giving a response opposed to just 
you're waiting in the wings to tell them everything that you're going to do to help <laughs> them and save their lives. Cause they could tell you could see when people are like bubbling yeah. versus like looking at the person and, and calmly going, okay, this is a complex situation. I'm not going to fix it with one sentence. All right, let's start unpacking this. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, reflecting that feeling back onto them, opposed to going, well, if I were you, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, uh, that totally makes sense. And exactly. Yeah. So Bill, why don't you tell some of our listeners about what your book is called, uh, where they can find mm -hmm. it, what, uh, you know, the, the, you told us a bit of the premise around it, but you know, go ahead. Mm. Uh, so the book is called Safe Conversations for Work and Life. Is that up there uh, in the dolphins right. there? Yep, that's. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a big circle on it. And we'll edit it. Yeah, it's uh, in between my two dolphins uh, yeah. in there. Uh, yep. And um, so it's available on uh, Amazon. Um, people in Australia can buy it uh, directly off my website. Uh, so my website is inspirelearning.au. So there's, you know, people will find a range of um, resources on resources there, uh, courses. You know, I have kind of longer courses as well um, in the book. Um, the, the kind of main theme of the book is, as I mentioned, that um, teaching the skills, for, for, particularly for managers, uh, to be able to have the skills to notice, know where a team member might be, may not be in a really good place. And then the, the key point here is then to, for the leader then, manager then being able to enter into the conversation. And normal manager brain is solving problems, telling people what to do, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks being a manager, doing people what to do. But when someone is kind of struggling with stuff, personal stuff, whatever, a lot of managers don't want to go there. It's like none of my business and I don't want to be trying to solve their problem and they're afraid of saying the wrong thing, all of that kind of stuff. So essentially what I'm teaching is, look, it's not your problem to solve. And that by uh, doing what I just we talked about earlier there around really good empathy, which is essentially helping the other person to come to their own self-awareness around what's happening for them, then uh, helping guide uh, the person to the right resources. So SAFE is uh, an acronym for self-awareness. So if you're going to go into these conversations, just be self-aware, notice what's going on for you and, and awareness of the other as well. Um, acknowledging, which is essentially reflecting back, um, asking, asking questions, and then knowing what are good questions to ask versus you know questions that are not appropriate. Uh, the F is to focus on listening, and um, you know generally a good airtime balance would be sort of seventy to eighty percent focus on the other, twenty to thirty percent on self. Uh, having an understanding of what kind of questions would be really useful to ask. And then uh, the E is around empowering. And the whole idea of empowering is, 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 is doing it in a very genuine kind of way. So, you know, a crass kind of way would be, oh, you're good to go, Jason. You know, go on, Greg, you can knock it out of the park. Um, but um, one of the things 
we give an enormous gift to another human being when we see some um, capability in them. You know, they might be very patient. They might be, um, you know, pretty good, you know, go-getter. But every strength is also a shortcoming. So helping a person to understand strength uh, and, and empowering them to either access their own resources to look after themselves. So I have a whole raft of, I, I, I call it the, the, uh, the quick eight for work, so things that we can do to look after our self-care, uh, uh, the quick eight for work, and then the deep eight for life, uh, things that we can really do to look after ourselves um, on a more uh, longer-term basis. And then if symptoms persist, please see your healthcare professional. So that's where that um, helps determine where it might be appropriate to connect in with professional health. And, you know, broadly, uh, these skills, you know, to the point that um, uh, Greg was highlighting there about, you know, how do you have these conversations, you know, with others and how do you create safety? And then that's essentially what uh, the book and the workshop is, is teaching us is how to do, um, how to be available, how to be safe to be safe to talk to and create safety for others. Super cool. Bill, we'll have it in the link as well mm -hmm. in the bio for the podcast. But you know, it was great having you on today. Like like I said, we off camera, we could probably talk about this for three days. Like it's just one of those things that just keeps <laughs> you know the, the topics keep going on yeah. and on, right? It's not just it's not mm -hmm. just you can't just just talk about anxiety without having to talk about stress and everything else around it right so mm -hmm. there's it's more than just you know picking one topic out of all that and just slaying it in 40 minutes it just doesn't happen right mm -hmm. so you know uh you know bill I, I think it would be great for uh for the hive nation and for our listeners to to stay in touch with you and you know i think it would be great to have you back on again to you know, to, uh, to expand on this, you know, as uh, we never even got to burnout or isolation, you know, yeah. like we never even got to any of that stuff. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think it would be great to have you back on there to talk about like burnout and isolation and, you know, the depression around that and how that affects somebody's life because it obviously does. Right. And so, uh, yeah. so, you know, this is an open invitation from the Hive Nation to have you back, Bill. So. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just on that, there's a lot of callers, uh, you know, lifelong callers uh, that are uh, struggling. And um, often, you know, one of the things I'll explore into is what are their loss experiences, you know, because often unhealed you know, grief and sadness is just so difficult. And it, you know, creates so many difficulties in terms of. So anxiety and depression are massively different things, but they have similar symptoms. That's why they're often clapped together. And then this can flow over into, you know, our work, um, you know, increases the capacity for us to feel less resourceful and then therefore more lonely, uh, for example, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so I'd love to, uh, you know, talk to you guys more and, and share with your, with your audience and listener base. And look, if people want to get in touch with me, um, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one work, uh, work with you know, groups and organisations. Uh, Australia at the moment is is very much uh, leading edge. There's new legislation happening all over the world, or a new standard called um, ISO 45003 for guidelines for psychosocial hazards in the workplace. Um, Canada uh, very much and uh, US are sort of pretty strong in this area. Um, Australia has adopted the legislation and actually starting to 
really do the work just you know slowly by slowly to make workplaces so much more psychologically safer you know so that we can show up and be ourselves and you know i'd love to talk with you guys more about this whole concept of feelings uh because we're only as a just culturally starting to get maturer in being able to talk about our feelings because so many people just get absolutely freaked out by it but when we have a safety federal safety uh to be able to talk about feelings it's, it's hugely healing um, and just one quick example I, I run a men's group and um you know in that men's group you know, you know, people often say, you know, males you know, can't open up. Well, that's absolute rubbish. You put a group of males together, you know, where it's totally safe, where no one's trying to tell another person what to do, give opinions, you know, try to fix them. And you can just show up and, you know, you might feel you have to feel like crap, you know, you're just struggling, you know, your partner's giving you a hard time, you're going through the, the um the courts, trying to get access to your kids, blah, 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 you know, this is really difficult stuff. And guys can just show up and just have have a platform, feel heard, feel listened to, and they're safe. And and it and it provides a, a, a sense sense of healing that is really helpful. I know in our group we've been going for about four years, and we had a meeting on Monday, and um, we just made the comment that you know we do it start the meeting with you know how you're feeling, scale of one to ten. And most of the guys are at an eight. <laughs> Whereas years ago, it used to be twos and threes. Um, you know, they're just in a good place with lots of healing. So yeah, so happy to talk a lot more. Bill, I'll give you a bit of. Uh, I'll give you. I, I know you weren't expecting this, but I'll give you a bit of homework then. Uh, so uh, a, a friend of the Hive uh, podcast is uh, Zach from the Canadian podcast, and he started a movement called Mentel.ca. So um, we can send you the link for it if you'd like. It's M-E-N-T-E-L-L dot C-A. And essentially, it's exactly what you just talked about. It's a safe place mm -hmm. for men to you can get together and just, you know, talk and just, you know, share your thoughts and feelings without being judged, really, you know, mm -hmm. by anybody. And uh, he started a uh, thing for November here for Movember called Warmth and Words. And essentially, it's 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 very simple to do. You can say something very easily by giving somebody. It doesn't cost anything to give a, a compliment, right? So, you know, if I were to say to you today, Bill, you know, Bill, I really like those glasses. They look good on you, right? There's nothing wrong with saying that, and there's nothing wrong with receiving <laughs> that. You know what I mean? Like it's it's exactly. very much uh, an easy thing to do, and we should all practice it more. But Zach uh, from Mentel.ca and the Canadian Podcast has has put that out there and it's just they're just really great movements they're really like we need more of it you know it's november or november is is a month that's set aside but you know i'm not sure what's wrong with january february march april may and every month in between there you know? <laughs> so yeah exactly yeah, good. Anyways, Bill, it's like great I, I definitely will share that with you and i and i i'd love for you to, to check it out just to to see because it's very much mm -hmm is in line with exactly what you're doing in Australia. And, you know, thanks for, thanks for your work that you're doing, you know, across the pond. We joke it's across the pond. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're all connected one way or the other. Mm, we are. It's lovely being in meeting and chatting with uh, both yourself, Jason and Greg. So we shall continue. Appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you very much, Bill. Thanks so much, Bill. Hive Nation, we're out.